Okay. Today, my guest is Professor Christopher Bartlett. I'll keep my introduction short to maximize our time with him. In the next 30 minutes or so, we'll talk about Chris as a person. Professor Bartlett is a thought leader and an esteemed scholar, and finally is a mentor to many patient students and junior faculty. For the sake of time, I'll skip many of his accomplishments and give you a very quick snapshot. Professor Bartlett is a fellow of the Academy of Management, the AIB and SMS. Uh, his research focuses on strategic and organizational challenges confronting managers in large and complex organizations, and also on organizational and managerial impact of transformational change. His book, Managing Across Borders, was named by the Financial Times as one of the top uh, 50 most influential business books uh, of the century. And the Individualized Corporation uh, was named one of the best business books by the Millennium by Strategy and uh, Business uh, Magazine. He has authored or co-authored more than 50 articles, eight books and 100 case studies. His cases have sold more than uh, 5 million copies worldwide, making him the best-selling case author in the history of HBS. He received the AOM, International Management Division's first Distinguished Scholar Award. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Of course. Uh, first question, uh, what did you want to become when you were a child? Oh, my gosh. When I was a child, well, my, my dad had uh, an advertising business. And so uh, I guess my as a, as a little kid, my thought was I was going to be like dad. I was going to join his business. Um, by the time I got to high school, though, uh, that had refined. I had a, um, a teacher in high school who was my English and history teacher, but he was also in charge of rowing. And I was very much into rowing as the captain of the rowing club. So then I decided that what I wanted to be was a high school teacher who also coached rowing. That, that's it. That <laughs> and where did you grow up? In, in, in Australia, in Brisbane, Australia. Okay. And uh, can you remember uh, the first moment of awareness between domestic versus international? Oh, that, now that's an interesting question. And it's a question that I think probably is more appropriate or is more um, definitive for people who grew up in the United States or in Europe. But in Australia, just because of our geographic location, you grow up with a consciousness that, that there is a huge world out there. Um, so as a, as a kid, uh, I remember we were very much part of the British Empire. And I remember when the Queen had her coronation in 1953. And then three years later, there was the Olympic Games were in Melbourne in 1956. And that was when television also came. And so that was very international. And then television came to Australia with a huge American influence. So this sort of British American global influence was right from my childhood. Uh, you. We, we were conscious that we were sort of this isolated little part of a huge, uh, complex uh, world that we were, we were looking out on. How did you choose academia? I'm sorry? How did you choose academia? Uh, oh, my gosh. Uh, well, uh, academia chose me, I think. In a way. Well, it started with that, that thought about I wanted to be a teacher when I was in high school. But I worked for an honest living for um, a good while before I became an academic. <laughs> so I started out when, when I, I got an economics degree in Australia, and then I worked for Alcoa, where I became uh, a, a product manager for roofing products. 
And at that stage, um, I was uh, the, the headquarters were in Pittsburgh, and I was very conscious that even decisions at our little local level had to go up to Pittsburgh. Uh, so that, that sort of international business kind of thing became very much part of my imprint early on. Then I went uh, and did my MBA at, at Harvard. And after that, uh, I became a management consultant with McKinsey in London. And that was a time when when uh, American companies were all flocking to Europe. It was the European economic community was evolving to the European mm -hmm. community, lots of investment. And finally, I became uh, a subsidiary uh, general manager of, a, of the French subsidiary of a um, an American company called Baxter International, a hospital supply company. And so once again, I was sort of in the midst of this um, headquarters subsidiary tug of war uh, in the back of my, so that those issues were always interesting to me and always that, that challenge of how you manage the headquarters versus the subsidiary. I grew up, that was in my bloodstream. So when I decided finally to go and get my doctorate, uh, I was very clear that that was something I wanted to understand uh, and wanted to pursue as a as a as a, an academic as as an intellectual pursuit, not just a practical issue. Something that you wouldn't put in your CV, but uh, but it, uh, any hobbies, any interests? Oh my gosh, yes, there are way too many. Yeah, let's think. Or something that I wouldn't put. Well, I loved writing. Uh, I, I've always loved writing, uh, uh, which was part of my interest in in joining my father's advertising business. But I've always liked to write. Uh, when I became an academic, that was a requirement. Uh, although you had to write in incredibly long sentences with footnotes and impenetrably deep paragraphs that no one could work their way through. But after uh, leaving academia uh, 15 years ago now, um, as, as I said to you before the interview, I turned 80 in a couple of months. So it's been 15 years since I retired. It's quite a quite a, a time. But I continue to write. Uh, I started off writing just a memoir, uh, mostly for the kids and grandkids about growing up in post-war Australia. It only uh, went for, uh, for the first 21 years before we get into the bo uh, boring stuff about living in the suburbs and career and whatever. But this was my misbehave misbehavior is in my youth and all my teenage activities and things that I've never told my kids so finally I committed that to paper and, and wrote a book called barefoot and boisterous and now literally literally in front of me on my desk right now is the final manuscript of my first novel which I've um, just written and uh, I'm going to send that out and sort of arm wrestle with an editor and uh, see where that goes but that's uh, that, that's that's writing that that has no footnotes and uh, no references. Is <laughs> <laughs> just pure fun. Perfect. Um, if you could do it all over again, what would you change? Uh, would is there anything that you would do differently? Oh, in in my academic career, yeah, it's it's a wonderful career choice. I mean, I loved uh, the experience of, of working in business, but but an academic career gives you mentors who who are nurturing and supportive, colleagues who are engaged and 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 challenging, students who are curious and and interested. It's sort of a multi-generational you're surrounded, and yet. Out of that, it sort of throws you out into a world in which you are an intellectual entrepreneur. You're you're out there with all of that turmoil and and the, the, 
behind you. Um, so would I do it differently? Uh, would I? I'll tell you what your question reminds me uh, about, Elgaz. Uh, um, I was sitting at a dinner party with with a, a faculty member at, at, at Harvard. I, sh I shouldn't mention her name, uh, but she's a well-known faculty member who invited a group of people. I think there were probably a, a dozen of us around the table. And she asked the question, if you could do have done any career other than be, become a professor, well, all of us were professors, what would you have been? And, and I remember people going around the table and one wanted to uh, play for the Red Sox. There was no, you know, you could do whatever you wanted, dear. There's no limit. Someone wanted to be a ballerina, I think. Anyhow, when it came to, to me, my choice, and this is, this is, says, I think a lot about my, I said, what I would love to have been is around the table with the, the writers and the cast of Monty Python's Flying Circus. I don't know if you're familiar with, but there's two aspects to that. One is the, 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 the group collaboration. One is the freedom of thinking, just the incredible creativity. And then the, the, the joy of writing that all out of that confusion, writing something that then you present. So in many ways, I mean, without the, the craziness, I guess that's what, what we do as academics, isn't it? We, we, we're, we're the sort of the serious side of Monty Python. Do you ever say, uh, I wish I didn't uh, leave Alcoa and kept going? Maybe uh, do, do you ever think about a different trajectory for yourself? Maybe the... Uh, only in corporate life. Uh, I, I, I never regret the decision. I, I, and I was triggered by, uh, I was running the, the French subsidiary of, of Baxter and, and I was called to Brussels, which was their European headquarters. And they had a, a promotion in mind for me, which was going to be an area responsibility for responsible for Southern Europe. And I remember coming home on the uh, the, the the train, the TE that, that that evening, and my wife and I sitting up over dinner and uh, a bottle of wine, and going late into the night talking about it. And and out of that decision came. This would have been the sort of the the rung to continue to to climb the corporate ladder, and the life that went with it, where you become. You do what the company are. You you know you 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 take the next promotion. You move to where they say you you know you, and so we pretty much decided no. This was if I was ever going to sort of cut loose, this was the time to do it. So that's when I applied to go to the doctoral program and um, begin my academic career. I have no I have no regrets about that. It's, it was a wonderful choice for me. This is an interesting answer. Uh, I sometimes ask my friends. Uh, there is this uh, settle point uh, when Coke, PNG, Unilever ask you to, you know, step into this role, or uh, you know, then your career is going to take off. Obviously, you're going to be moving every four years, every three years. Yeah, whatever. It's a choice, and uh, I'm basically asking my friends too: Do you ever regret uh, staying, or do you ever regret going uh, back to the other life? So there is the settle point. This is very interesting. Um, 
Who guys, I'm going to tell you a story that that I, I, I and I actually continued doing this. When I was in the MBA program, there was a um, a professor who ran a course called, let me recall it, uh, The Individual Something and Society. Anyhow, whatever it was, it was focused on, on the individual and, and the business and society. But one of the assignments was, imagine how your life how you would like your life to be 10 years from now, five years from now, next year. And, and basically he got, he got to us to stretch as to what, what was the vision of what we were trying to, to, to the life we'd like to live and then come back uh, three years from now, what would get you on that path? And then to next year, what steps would you take? And I, I kept doing that after I left the MBA program because corporations have those plans for you. They've got career path planning. They've got their strategic plans. Got, so they're doing that. And unless you've got your own clarity about what you want to do, what's the priority for you, uh, you'll, you'll by default, uh, you know, travel along their career path plan for you rather than decide what you want to do. And that's the great thing about an academic life is, I mean, it's hard work and there's, there's challenges to get there, but, but we really do become intellectual entrepreneurs able to choose our own direction and, 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 and plot our own research and teach the courses that really engage us. Mm -hmm. it's, a great, it's a great privilege. Uh... What are you most proud of? What am I most proud of? Surviving. Uh, no, <laughs> no. I'll tell you what I, I'm most proud of. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you, you, you kindly introduced me with, with the, you know, some of the, the work that I've done. But uh, the, the vast majority of that output had another name on the cover, which was Samantha Goshal. And what I'm most proud of is that. Uh, for, for more than 20 years that he and I had an incredibly engaging, satisfying, productive, joyful partnership, which is unusual in, in academia. Uh, it started off, um, he was a young doctoral student. Actually, he was at MIT at the Sloan School, where he was just finishing up his, his doctoral dissertation. And he came to a seminar at, at Harvard Business School where I was presenting the early stages of the research. I was about a year into the, the research that became Managing Cross Borders. At the end of that class, in classic Samantha form, he came up to me and said, I want to be part of this research. So I said, well, but Samantha, you've just finished your, your doctorate. You know, shouldn't you just be going? He says, no, 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 no. I, I want to do this one as well. So, <laughs> so he was determined that he was going to do a second doctoral dissertation and that he wanted to do it uh, with me in this project. So we carved off a piece that could be his doctoral dissertation. That became the beginnings of a, a collaborative friendship, a part, a true partnership. Um, and I think that's one of the 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 great shames in in our in academia generally is that we so often feel like we have to do everything ourselves there's such joy in collaboration i work best in collaboration where there's back and forth mm -hmm. and he and i would have we'd 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 have sessions together either at harvard or over at INSEAD, which he was at the time and we would go hammer and tongs for, you know, for, for days. And we'd come out with outlines and questions and, 
and then we go and, and you do this and I'll do that and we'll exchange drafts at the end of the month. Anyhow, what came out of that was a, a productive, joyful working partnership. We traveled a lot, did research together uh, and, and a friendship, uh, a, a really true friendship. So that's what I'm most proud of, that that, that became a, 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 not just the lasting part of my career, but, a, a, but an important part of my life. Thank you. About research, I would like to ask you something general. Uh, how do you see the uh, evolution from many years ago when you first started as a PhD student, uh, then till the moment that you start academic uh, uh, career? How? What did we lose along the way? What did we gain along the way? How is this uh, IB field forming, in your opinion, this evolution is taking place? Hmm. Well, as I, as I said earlier on, I, I've been retired for a long time. And as, as I've admitted, I've spent my time writing uh, things without footnotes. And, and, and I'm, I'm not the, the most up to date with what's going on now. But the, for me, the interesting um, transition that, that I led, uh, I, I lived through um, was that international business that that the, the the tiny little core of of international management inside I, IB grew, that the unit of analysis being not the firm, but the manager and and mm -hmm. and manage, managerial behavior, um, and the, the 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 structures, the process, the culture uh, that 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 that. Uh, um, and, and the challenge of managing across the barriers of distance and language and time and culture complicates the managerial task. And, and so a lot of, I think a lot of the early, the earliest um, uh, IB literature was focused on the firm and, uh, as the unit of analysis or even, you know, the larger corporate environment. But, but I think what, what, I found satisfying and 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 what I found most because of the background that I described in my own experience in, in living in, in corporations was the managerial process in, inside of that. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that remains, I think, one of the the, the less explored and, and the more, I mean, there's a lot of very good work done uh, be, uh, ha, that has been done and continues to be done. And particularly as we move from um, uh, an economy in which which the the financial resource is still critical, as it was in in direct foreign investment kind of things was always financially based, but now as you move to an information based, knowledge intensive economy, that that the management of that knowledge resource, you can't manage it in in the abstract way you can with with financial resources where you could allocate and control it but that's that that is embedded in human behavior and and so i just think that, and a lot of good work is now being done i believe in 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 knowledge management in in multinational enterprise uh, it's yes i have to tell you you've missed nothing <laughs> absolutely nothing uh, we just discovered that managers matter and there are conferences on why managers matter and how managers matter so you missed absolutely nothing you're at the forefront of the current <laughs> research. You're doing great. Thank you. So 
uh, I'm curious about your creativity. I mean, your I use your cases. Uh, uh, I uh, I've read your books, obviously, but uh, how how did this uh, come about? What's the source of the creativity? How does one become so creative? What's the process uh, that goes through uh, in your mind to come up with these ideas? Oh my gosh! Um, well, that, I, I I think uh, it, it it for me at least the, a, a large part of it is being willing to jump into. Uh, great fields of of complexity and diversity and dynamism and whatever. So for me, uh, field based research was always. I, I was I wasn't going to be sitting in a library, sort of doing uh, financial analysis. I was going to be out in the field, um, in in the mess, and and gathering large amounts of data. So when when I told you about managing cross borders, the the, the design of that, as you may recall, is three companies in three industries from three three countries. So uh, Philips, Matsushita, uh, uh, and Philips, Matsushita, and General Electric in, in consumer electronics, or, or uh, Unilever and Procter and & Gamble and Cow. Those, that, when you're gathering data uh, of nine companies around the world, uh, it's a huge and 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 not not at a superficial level. You're really getting in there and and talking not only to the senior management on the front lines, that you you're you're drowning in data. And so and I, I I'm very happy to keep doing that and then to stand back and start seeing in that the patterns. Uh, eventually, uh, the the more you do this, the more you can start seeing seeing patterns and then from that creating uh concepts or frameworks or hypotheses uh if you like that that's a large amount of what i i've always done is hypothesis generation rather than hypothesis testing so a, a lot of the things that you know that i can't prove these things but we can create a framework of these different models of international multinational global transnational and so on and then other people will follow on and sort of do much more detailed in depth but but from uh the the creativity i think is is just the the challenge of of trying to create order out of all of that chaos um it just is such a such an engaging process the the other the other part, part uh if if i can ilgaz um you mentioned that and and i'm delighted that you use um my cases that they that data that you in in the introduction you said there were five million cases there's now seven million cases of my uh, that have been sold around the world and and that if I had to say there's one thing that I'm proud of I'm really proud of that because that means that 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 the work is reaching the students and and that changes um, that that influences the next generation of management so you, you start so I've always wanted to speak to three audiences. My academic colleagues in the respectable journals, and to, uh, to have that discussion, the, the the practitioners who we're trying to to influence and hopefully help and 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 develop and in a way pay back for their generosity and allowing us into their companies, and finally the students, the next generation of, of managers. So I think that the creativity comes in part by a willingness to to challenge one's thinking not only about 
how this is going to look in the next edition of jibs but can i then think through how that might translate into a, an article that harvard business review might might present to managers or how do i bring this into the classroom when you look through those lenses all of a sudden ideas become much richer uh, much much more much more real uh than, than just sort of the abstractions that uh, that often we speak in beautiful thank you and your case has made my career <laughs> you saved me so many <laughs> times in, in the class thank you so much um how about mentoring um uh, who was the most influential person uh when you were going through the phd program the doctoral program oh my gosh i had um I had three uh, career, three, three, three thesis um, uh, supervisors. Uh, one was Joe Bauer, uh, one was Norm Berg, and one was Mike Yoshino. And in different ways, they were all uh, they were, they were all quite influential. Joe was the more um, conceptual and and. Uh, theoretically based and um, very much up, up with current literature. Uh, Norm Berg was very much uh, uh, someone who, who pushed me out into the field and encouraged the field research. And Mike Yoshino, uh, coming from, from Japan, had that international dimension that, uh, you know, one of the great risks that all of us, I think, have in the field of international business, international management, is to to break the the ethnocentric model to 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 think differently and and for me when um, going to Japan I had to 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 really uh, re recalibrate the way I I, I thought um, because I brought Western models into into what was uh, what was a very different set of assumptions and and Mike was very helpful in that so yes they all helped me in very different ways. What do you see? Uh, what did you see uh, when you were engaging with uh, young scholars or PhD students? Uh, common problems across the board, across geographies. That is, uh, things to avoid. Things to avoid. The first thing I would say is is avoid the lemmings off the cliff. Avoid the um, going to the latest hot topic. Uh, because you'll end up in a in a crowded field <laughs> where you're you may duplicate uh, someone else's research or or, or uh, end up sort of putting the, the latest little refinement on something. So I'd say you know um, uh, look beyond that. So um, for example, I mean if 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 I were in the field now, I'd be looking at what's happening in Africa because everyone is sort of focused on. North America and and Europe and and Asia and but there's the, 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 there are some amazing uh, developments in in what's going to happen in uh, I mean that's just a random example but so that'd be one thing another thing would be uh, I'd say to often young faculty get into a sort of a check the boxes approach that they're told these are the things you have to do to do to get to get tenure and they end up it's a bit like the, what we were talking about before about the corporate world where you you know you 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 end up living someone else's life um just remember that you are an intellectual entrepreneur 
and uh, just go out there and and I mean, how many times have have you heard or that they any young faculties heard follow your passion? But things that really engage and interest you, that's where to 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 focus your attention, not not where you think. Um, you know what what's what's the most likely thing to get accepted in in this journal or that journal or what's the uh, what's the hottest topic that I can jump on the back of? Um, well, I learned something new. Uh, thank you again, uh, Chris. For the sake of time, what is a question that I should have asked you but haven't? What is the question you should have asked me? I don't know. Um, uh, no, I think you've you, you've covered. I mean, there's a, there's a you, you could ask me about my grandchildren. I'd be happy to tell you about them. <laughs> but I think we've covered, we've covered the career side pretty pretty thoroughly. Let me ask you about the uh, memoir that you wrote. Uh, obviously, did you give it uh, in all honesty every little detail, or did you skip? Uh, Sometimes. Let me see if I can find it. Let me see if I can see. Do I have a copy up here? This is this is it. It's called Barefoot and Boisterous, and that's a picture of me when I was age ten with a snake. But um, uh, so did I tell everyone? No, I didn't. There are still some things, especially in my adolescent years, that I thought were probably best left untold. But. <laughs> What is one thing that you should uh, that you would like to tell your grandchildren uh, from what you learned in life? Uh, and advice to them, not academic, but something. Yeah, yeah. That... You know, it, uh, the the thing that immediately leaps to my mind is um, uh, for for a, a a full and and fulfilled life. Surround yourself with wonderful people. Hmm. And it gets back to to the, the the partnership with with Samantra. It gets back to, well, obviously to, to, to my own family, but to to the friends that I've. I, don't don't bother with the with the people who are jerks and who are. Uh, I was going to use a, a word that shouldn't be, but anyhow, the, you don't don't bother with those people. Get them out of your life. Just embrace. The wonderful people in your life. That's then. I think that's that's the the key to. And the tr same is true in career. If you're going to uh, fi find great colleagues, and and in most of our institutions, there are lots of wonderful people, and there are some jerks and self-centered, uh, arrogant, uh, you know, elbow uh, pushing people. Stay away from them. Don't 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 engage with them. You just surround yourself with great people. This was delightful. Thank you so much. I learned a lot. I'm I'm sure the audience will agree with me. Thank you so much. Oh, it's a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for the invitation.